Welcome to this week's episode of Daily Horror Habit, the podcast for horror obsessives. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you horror movie discussions every Friday for your twisted pleasure. And as always be warned, these discussions may include spoilers. This week rounds out the month's theme of remakes with the chat about Rob Zombie's 2007 Halloween and 2009 Halloween 2. Zombie's crack at Carpenter's classic slasher franchise showed new facets of Michael Myers and added to the mythos of this slasher icon by taking an intimate look at Michael's adolescence in Halloween and giving us a look into the mind of Michael and a traumatized Laurie in Halloween 2. In joining me this week to talk remakes, Michael Myers, and the madness of Rob Zombie is returning friend of the show and the host of the Nuclear Fridge podcast, Matt Paget. Matt, welcome back to the show, man. Hey, man. How's it going? Not too bad. I'm excited to dive into two slasher remakes that initially, when I saw them back in the day in like high school, was not a fan. And then over the years have had a newfound respect for them. Uh, and, you know, they definitely have more merit to them than I gave them credit initially. And, you know, I thought you were the perfect person to have on for that, considering last time you were here, we chatted about the uh, Firefly trilogy. So I know that you're definitely a fan of Zombies films, and I'm excited to kind of dive into uh, the remakes with you. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited too. Uh, I uh, I'm also just like a massive Halloween fan, so it's kind of like a a collision of my my love for Rob Zombie and my love for Halloween, and uh, I'm I'm stoked to talk about it. Before we dive into the films, though, why don't we kind of get a baseline for you? Like, how do you feel generally about horror remakes, and for you, like, what makes a good one? Uh, you know what? I'm I'm always excited um to to see a remake of almost everything, unless it's like here is a foreign film that we're just making Hollywood. Uh, those those tend to piss me off more than anything. Specifically, like uh, I, I like th- there's a movie called Another Round starring Mads Mikkelsen. It's not horror, but like they're like they were talking about getting Leo to do it, and I'm just like, dude, like. Western culture with alcohol is like it, it ruined that movie, and and I and I was doing I recently watched Audition by Takashi Miike, and I was reading about it, and I'm I was kind of like surprised that it wasn't one of the movies that got remade in the early two thousands in the like big Japanese horror, uh, being turned Hollywood with like The Grudge and The Ring. Apparently, it was they just never could get it nailed down. And it's just like stuff like that is just like I, I haven't seen the Grudge or the Ring, the the American version, so I don't know. I, I've heard like they're good, but I don't know. Um, the thing is, like, I would never want to see an American version of Audition. Like, it would just miss the <laughs> right. point, yeah. and it would just not be. It would just be like a hollow shell of what the original is, and I just couldn't. Uh, it just it just feels a little cheap. When they when they like oh well people don't like reading subtitles so let's just turn this into like the old boy remake like <laughs> what a, a pointless yeah. fucking movie uh, and then so so like I, I don't love those kinds of remakes but like I'm always down to watch a remake of a of a film like 
I know John Carpenter says uh, he loves it when they remake his movies because he just puts his hands out and money falls into it. But like, I gotta admit, I don't. I, I there aren't many John Carpenter remakes that are like solid movies. Yeah. And the fa- the idea of The Rock replacing Kurt Russell in a remake for Big Trouble in <laughs> Little China was like the stupidest fucking thing. Ah oh, man, it, it it anyway, like so like the, I've got a I've got a mixed feeling about remakes, but I'm always willing to stick it out and hopefully be surprised. I feel like reboots are like a big thing now and I love well, I, I should I loved Halloween 2018 when it came out. Like I thought it was yeah, fucking me awesome. Too. I did not I I've I've grown less and less enamored with it um not only because the movie itself like i i think like a lot of the humor in the movie is misplaced and i think that's it's really stupid which goes to a whole other like level in halloween kills and halloween kills is just a fucking travesty it is so bad and not in a fun way it's just like this is, it's like, there's the, like the thing, like, I, I'm not one to get offended by anything. I'm not offended by this, but like the fact that there's a gay couple and the little gay guys called big John and the big gay guys called little John. And like, they're calling out to each other while Michael Myers stalks them in their house. They're like, there's like, I feel like it's like a 40 minute scene of them going big John, little John, big. It's okay. We get it it's they're quirky gay guys with silly nicknames it's not fucking funny and this isn't building any sort of tension <laughs> this is the terrible fucking movie um that's one part of why i hate i i've started to dislike that halloween 2018 another reason in going into kind of a remake discussion is that it has started a trend of like here's here's a here's a here's a remake slash sequel slash reboot that is set 40 years after the original movie and we're ignoring every movie between that one and this one. And it, and it's created this weird like movement of filmmaking where it's like, I don't think anyone has ever been successful with it except for that first Halloween. Like I, I didn't like the new Candyman. I thought visually it was great, but I thought story wise, it was just really like basic and kind of like, messy uh, messy just to connect it to the previous film yeah and, and like the it didn't it felt like it was going in eight different directions but like taking one step in each direction and then going with a really odd like marvel-esque b- direction which i thought was bizarre kind of like not understanding the original movie um and then like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot sequel remake that that came out earlier this year which I could not believe it came out earlier this year that was fucking February I think and uh yeah that that movie was was silly as hell and I think like the worst parts of it were the like clear we didn't intend this to be a 40 year sequel to the original like Oh, hey, here's an old lady that's supposed to be the girl from the original movie, but she's not the actual actor because that actor died. And so, like, n- there's no emotional part of it where it's like, oh, that's that's Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie Strode. There's emotion to this. Oh, that's the mom from Candyman. That, there's the emotion. It's just, oh, there's an actor pretending to be the, <laughs> the girl from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And 
you could take out all of this like reboot sequel stuff from Texas Chainsaw Massacre and it would not change the film at all except for these weird like cordoned off scenes that were obviously reshoots after they were like oh this reboot sequel remake thing is big let's do that so I've got mixed feelings about all of this but I feel like one of the most hidden I I wouldn't even say hidden because it's not hidden. Everyone knows about these Rob Zombie Halloween remakes. And. But like, I feel like everyone either writes them off right away because I feel like Rob Zombie gets gets hate immediately. um, Regardless of anything, just because he's Rob Zombie. Um, And then. Or there's the people who watched it when it came out and they're like, ah, this sucks. This is like. This is the post 9-11 torture porny um, stuff that I don't like. And I, and I feel like that's unfair as well. Because if you watch it now, I mean, I, I've never watched it when it came out. I saw it like a couple years ago and I loved it. Uh, it. I thought it was an awesome new take on Halloween. I thought it was very different in a way that I liked. Like I would have... Like, everyone talks about how this movie's, like, half origin story, half remake of the first movie. And even that, it's like, no, like, I understand why people think that, like, it's shot for shot afterwards, but it's really not. Um, And there's, they do a lot with, like, the characters. uh, They they do a lot of, like, oh, like, you kind of think back to the original, like, oh, it's weird that we don't see any fucking parents in this movie. Like... (laughs) Like, the only parent we see is the police officer. And in this movie, like, they they really humanize, like, a lot of the people in this movie. A lot of the characters that we don't see from the first movie, like Laurie's parents. And they, they do a really great job of, like, making you like a lot of the characters. And then the brutality that is, like... Like, listen, the Michael Myers is a brutal motherfucker... But Rob Zombie's Michael Myers is, like, on a whole other level where it's, like, this guy is fucking mean. And it, it's not it's not done in a way where Michael Myers is then a joke or people make jokes and then Michael Myers gets them like the new reboots do. It is taken seriously. Like, there, there may be some funny scenes in this movie, but they never... It, it, it's never like a joke that Michael Myers is like in your house while you're playing with a fucking drone. And oh, there's, oh, I see Michael Myers through the drone camera. Oh, weird. Oh, it's like, and now he's like stabbing my, my husband with knives over and over again. And I'm like, that's not like Michael wouldn't do that. Michael doesn't, doesn't play with his food. I mean, afterwards, he'll put them in a closet and then (laughs) strategically align them so they fall out of the closet and scare you. But, like, I just think, like, the the Halloween remakes by Rob Zombie are just, like, sorely, sorely underrated and uh, deserve a lot more respect for a lot of things he does. In that first movie, that then goes into, like, the, the aftermath of trauma in the second movie, which is just so well done and really makes you go, fuck, like... Uh, like she had great parents in the first movie. Like it, it's, I mean, we, we might as well just go into talking about the first movie, but like, I, yeah, I, I think they're, they're sorely underrated and, and it's a shame. It's, it's a fucking shame that it, it, they're not given the chance 
Yeah, you know, I think the reason I had such a visceral reaction to it was that, you know, the original Halloween and the sequel um, are two of my not only first slashers that I saw, but two of my favorite horror movies of all time. And so, you know, I saw Halloween's Rob Zombie's first Halloween remake when it came out in 2007. And I was, I think, a sophomore in high school and immediately had a very visceral reaction to it of like, this is different. This is explaining. So bouncing off of it and going into it now with an open mind, which I think is how a lot of people that are hardcore horror fans did at that time. Because again, it's of that era where it's like, well, you're making this just to make money and you want to change things to like be perceived as being edgy or something like that, which, you know, I've obviously cooled on that take uh, over the years and whatnot and getting to watch it. Um, And I'm curious for you, um, how does, you know, exploring Michael's childhood at the first half of the first film, you know, what is what do you think that really adds to that character more than just being like, this is his horrible upbringing? How does that flesh out Michael Myers for you and make him more of a compelling character than just being this slasher icon that's, you know, very iconic uh, and the ways in which he kind of dismembers and, you know, hunts his prey and whatnot. You know, how does he how do you feel about that character more so after seeing that childhood? Yeah, so uh, like you, I'm, I'm a massive fan of the original Halloween 1 and 2. Like, I think Halloween, the first one, is one of the greatest movies ever made. Halloween 2 is an awesome, moody slasher that uh, I find creepier than the first one, mostly because of my, like, fear of hospitals. And, uh, I mean, it, it's it's a really moody, creepy thing slasher like i keep thinking about him injecting that character with uh the the needle just like stalking laurie as she's like stumbling down the hallway um but i i think back to the first movie the like the first scene where like the parents come home they take the mask off michael and he's just a kid staring dead forward just no emotion what is wrong with this kid we don't understand dr loomis is very much like the worst psychologist ever (laughs) he's like he's evil he's evil kill him i gotta kill him Ah!" and like that's how he's acting and fucking oh my god he's he's such a awesome character in, in in both the remake and the original and he just want he just wants to kill Michael Myers, and I feel like if I was a patient of his and I left our therapy sessions and I, he I just heard him yelling the evil has escaped the evil has escaped, I'd re- I'd be like yeah it makes sense, but <laughs> but I would probably find a new therapist. But uh, that that mystery in that first one is like I think like a big reason why people don't like the remake. But I think like. It's not explaining Michael Myers from the original movie. It, this is a brand new universe that Rob Zombie is working in. It's not the original Halloween. He doesn't even... They don't even remake that original scene. Like, it's a completely different reason why he eventually goes to the mental institute. And I think it, like... I, I, I was really impressed by just how they portrayed um, a kid who would then become a serial killer um and like i i was reading and apparently like uh Peta gave rob zombie an award for showing that like uh 
animal abuse leads to is like a an early sign of uh, psychopathy, and it, Rob Zombie is a huge vegan, so it, it's like funny to see that connection. Um, but like, it also shows you that like, while like yeah, the original it's scary that he's this kid that's just fucking violent for seemingly no reason. Just ignore the later movies where they kind of imply that it's a cult. That's, <laughs> but like, goes it, into it's some this, loopy places. Yeah, it, it's this. Uh, it's this creepy kid who just has nothing, no reason to be killing people. Why did he kill his sister? We don't know. He's not talking to us. But in this one, it's like no. Michael Myers loves his mom, and when someone insults his mom at school for being a stripper, he kills that kid in the woods which is like such a creepy creepy fucking moment but you sympathize with them because you're like yeah like i don't like i i i would have people make fun of my family and i'd want to do the same thing i wouldn't because i'm not a psychopath but michael myers is like and i feel like a big part of it is that um a lot of people don't like this movie because of the cliche like trauma like trauma begets serial killers and I get that. Not everyone that goes through trauma, I've gone through trauma and I've come out fine as far as I know. But that's this is a horror movie. Like we're not watching we're we're not watching a Richard Lanklatter movie. We're watching Rob Zombie remake Halloween and he's doing it I think he's he's handling it in a really great way because Michael Myers cares for his little sister. He cares for his mom. He hates his shitty abusive stepdad. Um, and he still kills his, his older sister in this. Uh, but he, I, I think it gets you caring about these characters and it makes you want, like, it makes you want to root for Michael when he's in the hospital and his mom obviously wants to take him home once he's better. And I feel like you might not feel sorry for Michael for being a killer, but you might feel sorry for his mom and his family and his little sister for not having their brother. And just wanting things to go back to normal. Cause I think anyone listening to this or watching those movies, whether they like it or not can agree that you want people to be, well, who knows? Some people don't want rehabilitation, but like, I definitely want that. And I was fucking bummed out. I mean, I, I also wasn't fucking surprised when it didn't work because I'm watching Halloween. <laughs> but like, right. I wanted, I wanted that happy ending for them. And I think that all sets it up in a way that is like, heartbreaking in a lot of ways i think that you know the childhood aspect i'm still sort of 50 50 on it's probably the only thing that i still am somewhat like does this work for me does it not but i think that they definitely succeed at like you had said including the parents more not just the parents of the victims but of you know michael myers himself his mother right and i think that in humanizing and getting to see you know what he has done and you know him being committed and all these things seeing the ripples that it has in his own family, I think is interesting because, right, they obviously don't touch upon that in the other films. Maybe in passing they say something, but it's never analyzed in the same way that it is here. And if anything, I think that that ends up being more interesting and it makes, you know, his mother's character that much more of a heartbreaking character in the movie, right? Because then, of course, it inevitably leads to her committing suicide, right? And, you know, that aspect of it, I think, is interesting because again it kind of then informs 
why he ends up spiraling and becoming, you know, fully going inside, living in his own mind as he's uh, he's taught essentially by one of the orderlies there, played by Danny Trejo, right? Is that, well, the one person that he loves more than anybody is not there anymore. And so that was almost like his lifeline or his only tether to, you know, rehabilitation or some semblance of a normal life, even if that normal life was going to be, you know, incarcerated for the rest of his natural life. Um, and I think that that's something that I found to be, you know, very upsetting in a f- terms of like watching a slasher movie where generally it's like, yeah, people are going to die, right? People are going to have awful fates and whatnot. But rarely do I find in slasher movies that it's necessarily tragic, right? It's typically like, yeah, that that person's gone or that person meets a horrible fate, but it doesn't have the same emotional investment, I think, as spe- specifically, you know, her death does. And then seeing how that is essentially, again, like the severing of the tether to the potential for uh, any sort of normal life, uh, which, you know, granted, he wasn't going to have a normal life whether or not he got out. But it's the idea that, you know, he's essentially just closed the door on that chapter of his life. And I think that what I came to appreciate even more, even if, again, the the time that's dedicated to his adolescence uh, I'm still kind of so-so on. I think that it highlights, and I hope I don't fuck his name up, but Daig Farich, uh, who plays young Michael, I think he gives a fantastic performance throughout. And, you know, he's only in a good, what, 30 minutes of the movie, if that. But you get to see this full range of his character arc, right? You go from somebody that's dealing with being bullied, somebody that's dealing with, you know, being essentially in a place that they want to escape from and supposedly blacked out the violence that they committed and the murders that they committed. And then you also see him being this kind of depiction of, I would say, like a wild animal almost, right? When it he kills that nurse and then they're restraining him and you get to see him like unleash in a way that you didn't see previously. Because in a lot of those scenes where he's killing people, which is, you know, we're going to talk about zombies, more brutal aspect of the violence and the depiction of that violence. You know, you never see him break from this kind of like cool as a cucumber mentality, right? When he's doing those things, he's very effective, even if he is very brutal, you know, he's not emoting a lot other than the occasional grunting, but you do see him kind of explode with that rage when he's being restrained in front of his mother, in front of uh, Dr. Loomis and whatnot. And I think that that actor doesn't get enough credit for just the range that they're able to emote in such a short period of time. Like it does feel like a full arc, condensed into that 25 30 minutes that they're in the film yeah and uh i i mean yeah kudos to the kid i i feel like uh it's kind of like a uh god who's the kid that played anakin skywalker again oh um i'm gonna jake lloyd yeah and he uh he i feel like kids get a lot of shit yeah (laughs) Well, that's and, like uh, something people always complain about with horror movies, right? It's like, oh, I always hate kids in horror movies. But yeah. when you kind of remove that bias, you start to realize like, no, there's actually pretty good, uh, more than a handful of, you know, child performers that, you know, their, I think their performances are not depreciated until it's been a good chunk of time away from the actual, you know, release. Yeah. And, and like... I, I, I mean, I don't think Jake Lloyd is responsible for the, the shit show that The Phantom Menace is. Like, <laughs> right. fucking have you seen Liam Neeson in that movie? <laughs> uh, but, like, I feel like kids get a lot of undue shit 
if they if people don't like a movie and, and I definitely like most people just don't like this kid as Michael Myers. I don't know what they want from a Michael Myers kid. Like, I, do you want like, uh, well, Jacob Tremblay? That'd be interesting if it was like a cute, a cute kid that you want to just hug and pinch their cheeks. But like, I, I just I never understood the the hate for this this kid specifically. Like, he he just doesn't look cool enough to be Michael. Like, what do you want? Like, I think he does a great job, and uh, I, I think like furthermore, I, I think like the acting in these movies is really good. In terms of just like characterization and um, really like nailing what you're supposed to feel without being manipulative with music and other things. Like, uh, I think Dr. Loomis in these movies is a fucking dirtbag. And I love it. Uh, Malcolm, uh, crap. Malcolm Gladwell? What? McDowell? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Malcolm McDowell. He was great in it. Um, is that right, Malcolm? Am I saying the guy's name right, Malcolm McDowell? McDowell, yeah. Yeah, I am. I know that it's Malcolm McDowell. I love Malcolm McDowell, but like, uh, what did I? I said Malcolm Gladwell. Gladwell, Who's, yeah. <laughs> who the hell is Malcolm Gladwell? Oh, he's a Canadian journalist. Okay, that's why I know him. But I kept saying Malcolm McDowell. I'm like, that doesn't sound right. So I said Gladwell. Um, anyway, Malcolm McDowell does a great job in these movies. It's just like a hack, like he, he, he's chewing the scenery up and it's great. And he's such a scumbag. And I think like the childhood, uh, section of this movie also like it, it shows a lot for, for him just to, um, kind of, it, it's an interesting walk to watch him go from like, uh, like oh I care I want to help him it's I I early psychopathy I want to help these kids get better but like you can kind of tell there's an ulterior motive and then it goes from that to what we see in Halloween 2 where he's like a celebrity doctor full which on is like grifter doctor Phil yeah uh and I love it um I I love those scenes in Halloween 2 especially when he's on the the talk show yeah um <laughs> But, like, it, it goes a lot into his character, too, which I really like. But we, we were talking about Danny Trejo, and I, I just want to say, like, this movie does such a great job of, like, showing genuinely good people. Like, Danny Trejo, Lori's adoptive parents, and, I like, when, when he kills Danny Trejo, because his rage basically gets unleashed because some guards decide to fuck with Michael, and it's like... Danny Trejo loved you. He took care of you, but you are just a fucking murderous beast. And people can say it's mean. People can say uh, mean spirited. People can say it's cruel, but Michael Myers is not one to recognize nice people. And I, I don't know why you're watching a horror movie. If you're upset about things being mean spirited, unless it's like way over the top, but like, I, I almost cried when Danny Trejo got killed by Michael Myers because it was like genuinely like fuck, dude. It was it was going back to that you want Michael you want to give Michael Myers a hug. I don't think you should. He'll fucking kill you. But like you understand his pain, you understand everything, and while you don't condone what he's doing, you see how he got there, and it fucking sucks, and it breaks my goddamn heart. 
Yeah, that moment is, you know, I think that that entire adolescent section is justified by the inclusion of that moment, which apparently they want the studio wanted to cut for whatever reason. But it feels like such a pivotal moment. Not only is it, you know, this heartbreaking moment where, you know, Danny Trejo keeps saying like, oh, I was good to you, Mikey, as he's being drowned, right? And beaten before he, you know, has a TV thrown through his face. Um But at the same time, like it signifies the shift, right? At that point, Michael Myers is now full grown. He's, you know, Tyler Mann, who plays him in both films, is 6'9". He's quite literally a giant, right? He's so imposing. And if anything, he's shot in a way that makes him look like he's nine feet tall instead of almost seven feet. Um, But I think that that scene is not only, you know, emotionally devastating, but it really does signify the, the shift in the film where it's like, okay, we showed you the possibility of him, you know, maybe retreading this path that he's going down, but now that's completely off the table and you have to be ready for the reality of, you know, this is Michael Myers in a way that you know or that you would assume. And, you know, of course, we'll talk about it later in the film and then transitioning into the second movie. It goes down a different path in terms of expanding on that mythos, but that really is a signifying moment of like, okay, this is the Michael Myers that you guys have known. And yet Rob Zombie, I think, is really smart in the way that he depicts Michael Myers in that, you know, in the original films, he is this, this silent, very methodical killer. And, you know, he's effective. And in this, it's the complete opposite. And it's probably the element of the movies that I like the most in that Michael Myers is not so much this silent killer, but he is quite literally like a wrecking ball. And using the fact that Tyler Mann is this guy that is fucking massive. And the fact that, you know, yeah, it's not going to be as realistic to have him slink around quietly like he's quite literally a giant. And so leaning into that in a way that, you know, he is effective, but he is not nearly as methodical or <laughs> silent at all. And yet it does something that I rarely find in a lot of horror films in that he is basically redefining how terrifying Michael Myers is, but in a new way. You know, I never was afraid of Michael Myers in the sense of like, oh, well, I could just outrun him or something like that, or I'll just hide behind this massive door or something like that. But like that type of opinion on Michael Myers is basically moot with this film in that it's like, well, sure, you can close as many doors as you want, but he's going to quite literally come through the walls to get you. And, you know, he has a little more pep in his step uh, to the degree that like you're going to doubt whether or not you could actually outrun him. Um, And so for you, like, how does that portrayal of Michael work for you in this film? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I want different takes on uh, on that, and it's it's a very different take. I mean, I think, uh, I man, I cannot remember this guy's name, but the guy who was wearing the suit in the original movie, he was like five ten, maybe. Nick Castle. A, yeah, Nick Castle, and he was like five ten in that movie, and like short dude, small, but he was the shape. And now Michael Myers is, like you said, the wrecking ball. And he is going to maybe not just on a rampage, but like he is not going to show up in, uh, (laughs) show up in the house just unexpectedly. And you don't know how he got there. You're searching the, uh, I mean like this movie does it too, but like in the original, you're, you're like kind of scanning all the shots to see if you can find Michael. And this one definitely has those wide long shots where you're looking for him to see if you can see him. But like that scene in the original Halloween where Laurie is standing there and then Michael comes from the shadows and you see his face. 
This one is, it would be more like he just fucking busts through the wall that's right <laughs> next to the shadows. <laughs> He's like the Kool-Aid man almost in this in a way yep. that's like a funny characterization of it, but like is quite literally terrifying in the way that zombie captures that. And I really do like that almost like destructive derby kind of aspect of the movie, because like I said, it makes that character terrifying in a way that I never typically associated with it just because of, you know, thinking about the more classical depictions of it. But you know, I think that that comes through throughout the entire film, even when he's a child, right? And that's the sort of brutality of the violence and zombie maybe taking a page out of like exploitation films and being like, well, we're not only going to, you know, have these depictions of murder in various ways, but we're going to linger in those moments a lot longer, which I think is what makes it the violence, you know, as comically over the top as Michael is in terms of his depiction and whatnot and how, you know, he essentially has superhuman strength in a new way in this movie, I think that it still has a disturbing quality to it of the fact that you have to linger in those moments. It's not just that, you know, he's going to stab his younger sister, but now we have to watch her, you know, crawl down the hallway essentially. And then he has to stab her, you know, five or six more times. He doesn't hit somebody once with a baseball bat. We have to get a a, a shot of like their feet twitching. And then he hits them, you know, five or six more times, which it just, it makes the violence have a certain like oomph factor to it that I don't associate with all slasher movies. You know, a lot of slashers, I appreciate not only the practical effects, but the creativity, the -the over-the-top nature of them. But sometimes with something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's kind of like, okay, it's the process of how they do things in these movies. And we're going to get to the next one, and then the next one, the next one. And there's not a lot of like lingering on the moment. And that's a quality that I find that Rob Zombie really capitalizes on in these two uh, remakes that maybe the originals didn't as well, or maybe that was never their intention. And it's just a quality of these movies that has really grown on me, I think. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I mean, going back to the childhood part, like, I don't think, I don't think you could do this movie without that beginning part, uh, without the violence seeming completely out of place because of like, I think the childhood section of this movie is like, it builds up to that. And I, I was thinking as you were talking, like, what if they did this with Psycho where there was a much more brutal wrecking ball Norman Bates? And then I would say, oh, you would have to change the whole origin of that because, like, for him to just, like, go from mild-mannered Norman to I'm going to bust through this wall. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, you would need to change something. And, and I think, like, that just speaks to how I think this movie sets itself up with the whole origin story. Um. But then, yeah, now that like we, we've talked about the Orton story, he kills Danny Trejo. We've lost all hope that he'll ever be rehabilitated. Uh, we basically head into like the original movie from that point. And I, I really... Th- this is the part where I, I was like kind of 50-50 on for a while just because it was like, okay... We know what's we we know what's going to happen from here on out, but I think like there's like some really smart decisions, and I, and we've kind of talked about it before. But like I love Lori and her parents in this part of the movie. Like I I see a lot of people saying she's unlikable, and I and I would like to I would like to present you teenagers. <laughs> yeah, like you fucking morons. Uh- <laughs> I would I would never think that. That how like I, I would never associate that with this depiction of them. If anything, 
you know, I would I think that it is a better modernizing of teenagers, you know, considering when the original was and now this being, you know, the early aughts and whatnot. I found it yeah, to be it's far realistic. less. Yeah, it's real. It's more realistic. Um, I don't find it to be as cringy as some other early 2000s depictions of, you know, high schoolers and whatnot. Granted, some of the dialogue feels like it's coming from zombies, typical wheelhouse, I'll say. But at the same time, like, I think that Scout Taylor Compton, specifically, you know, uh, Daniel Harris, who plays her best friend, Annie, like that relationship, I think, is far more developed or at least maybe not more developed, but it feels more genuine than perhaps any of the relationships in the original movie, I would say. I, I would totally agree. Yeah. And I I love that first scene where you see her in her in her family house with her adoptive parents and she's like she she does some sex motions with her finger in the bagel and they're like her parents her mom's just like so upset by that which is like yeah that's ex- that's that's the relationship I have with my mom is I do something stupid and gross and she in, she regrets ever having me and I, I love that family dynamic because it's just so it, it it feels real it feels really real and you at that point you're like okay yeah there there you if you're familiar with that kind of family dy- dynamic you know that they love each other and then but they go further than that because later in the movie you see her on the porch with her mom uh, I think on Halloween night before everything goes off and you t- and there's real love there and you're like man this is an awesome family. Lori, uh, like, like I, I, the first two Halloween movies, I don't even fucking think about her being Michael's sister because even in the second one, when they reveal it, it's just a one-off sentence that you could take out from the movie. But in this one, it's like, you know what? Lori had a fucking fucked up situation when she was a baby that she never knew was a thing. Like she was a baby this whole time. And I'm fucking so happy that she now has this fucking awesome family. She's got great friends. There's a future for her. And I think that goes back to why I love the, the the origin story so much, because it also leads us into Lori's life and how like I, I, and then, Oh my God. And then I just get depressed because <laughs> everything that happens after this setup. And that's why I love this movie so much. And why I've totally turned around on the second half is they do enough to separate it from that first movie. And I, I and then, and then fucking Lori's future is destroyed and <laughs> loses a second family. Um, yeah. You know, it's horrifying. You mentioning that scene where they're sitting out on the front stoop on Halloween night, uh, just reminds me of one of my favorite moments in the entire movie. And probably one of my favorite shots of the entire like Halloween series. And it's when, you know, her mother, who's played by Dee Wallace, like goes back inside. Lori leaves to go party with her friends and her father's standing on the porch smoking a cigarette. And, you know, as soon as he turns to like look the other direction, Michael essentially like bum rushes him and drags him into the house. And there's this moment where the camera lingers on the other side of the street and we just look at the house and we don't, you know, hear anything and we don't see anything. And it is kind of building this moment of, you know, you know what is about to happen. Nobody really gets within arm's reach of Michael and doesn't meet a horrible fate. But there's that anticipation of dread and what you're about to see when you go back inside the house that I just love. And that he actually does that twice in the movie, too. I think it's Annie when she gets attacked the first time. It's the same thing where he grabs her and pulls her in the house. 
And then you're just left on the other side of the street. And, you know, those two moments I love because it taps into a quality of these movies that I, I kind of wish that they made more a focal point, which, you know, Haddonfield is supposed to be this sleepy suburban neighborhood. And that's why I always gravitated towards Halloween as a kid, because I grew up in this sleepy suburban neighborhood. So that's why that movie resonated with me more. That's why Nightmare on Elm Street resonated with me more than something like Friday the 13th when I, I never went to summer camp out in the woods. So I was like, oh, I can enjoy these movies and I do, but I don't have any relationship with that setting. Um, and I think that I wish that they tapped into the suburban aspect a little bit more in these movies, like the two shots that I just mentioned, because it's instilling in the viewer that like, oh, if you live in a suburban neighborhood, this could be happening inside and you wouldn't realize. It's Halloween night. People are home, but nobody is hearing what's going on inside the house. And that I think is a quality that I really love about this movie. And, you know, it's two quick scenes. They're probably not more than seven or eight seconds. But I think that that's, again, really a, like a masterful deployment of the camera in a way that I don't always associate with Rob Zombie. Um, which I thought was really standout moments. No, I totally know what you mean. Uh, it reminds me a lot of well, this one this one's a little weirder, but it reminds me of that that scene with Walton Goggins and Bill Mosley in uh, in House of uh, a Thousand Corpses. Oh yeah, where it pulls out and it's this huge like bird's eye view of the scene, and it's like this is weirdly artistic. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, you, you, you see sprinklings of it, um, in his earlier stuff, but yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It's, it's a, it's a, I think it's, it's a gorgeous shot. Um, and then, I mean like that, that's like that, that's pretty much like how I feel about this, this movie, like, um, heartbreaking in so many ways. Uh, I mean, from here on out, it, it's pretty much like slasher heaven and it's gorgeous. But like, that—that's pretty much my my whole summation of this film is is the just it it shows us the roots, it shows us all this possibility, and then it takes it all away from us and makes us depressed. And I I I love it. Um, I I think the. I, I kind of wish there was less of the like Michael trying to show the uh, show Laurie that that like hey we're related because then I mean like it, it's fine like I understand why she didn't click with that to figure it out in the first movie because I like the reveal in the second movie like I think it's really powerful and uh, I I I think that's my like main criticism with that movie is that like uh, that scene kind of feels cheesy in, in a weird way. Yeah, the way that they wrap up this movie too. I mean, initially nobody knew that there was going to be a sequel, and Rob Zombie was not interested in that because he had such a horrible time yeah. working with the Weinstein's. Shocking, um, but <laughs> it was the type of thing where they try to introduce something, and then I don't even like the generally the way the movie ends in terms of it cutting to black as soon as she shoots him in the face. It was kind of like. Okay, so just not knowing that there was going to be a sequel, I would probably be a little disappointed in that ending because it is just kind of like, there it is, he's dead kind of thing. But granted, it's Michael Myers. But, you know, in watching these back to back this week and prep for this, I enjoyed it more just because, of course, you get to have that connectivity. You know, of course, there's going to be a sequel um, and diving right into that. But, you know, 
I think that we should dive into the second film because as while well, I was excited to talk about Halloween one, Halloween two is a film that I came to within the last year and immediately loved it for seemingly what a lot of people don't like in that the original film, you know, it is tied to a certain amount of duty in terms of like being a not faithful, but in terms of like certain rules you have to play with, you're going to reboot such a classic franchise, such a classic film, right? You can introduce new facets of it, but it doesn't necessarily go outside the realm of what you would expect from a Michael Myers movie. And with Halloween 2, that completely goes out the window in a direction that I really love. And I'm excited to kind of unpack that with you. And I want to set it up a little bit because I think not everybody is as familiar with Zombies Halloween 2. So this one was released just two years after the original Rob Zombie film. Uh, he would begrudgingly return because he d- was not interested, like I said, after his experience with the Weinsteins, but they were going to make one and he wanted his vision to you know, come through in a way that really only he could do. This one is part slasher again, of course, but it is also equal parts psychological thriller in a way that I think is really, really interesting because it gives us this facet of both Laurie and Michael that we haven't seen before in more depth than we had seen in any of those previous uh, sequels and whatnot. So, you know, it picks up a year after the previous film, you know, while Lori's physical scars have healed, clearly, as the film explores, like she has this very traumatic PTSD, essentially, that she's still dealing with. And it is really defining her life at this point. Um, And I think that, again, talking about these more artistic or more standout shots in Zombie's career, like, The film, after a brief flashback to Michael, the film opens with Laurie walking down the road after she shoots Michael in the face. Brackett finds her, they take her to the hospital, and then you get this really, really upsetting, and you know it is disturbing, but it's more upsetting, I think, in the way in which the camera basically follows her body when she's in the hospital, and it's showing all of the individual wounds that she has. Right. It's going through and it's reminding the audience, you know, the physical damage that she went through. I think sometimes in horror sequels specifically, you know, they they show a survivor as being traumatized or, you know, is sort of achy and whatnot. But it's almost like they recoup from that in the first 10 minutes of the movie. So you can kind of just run with the sequel. And in this movie, it doesn't fast forward through that. And I find it to be really, really effective and just, you know, going over each stab wound, each cut each of the things that the doctors have to do to, you know, fix her body, essentially. And that is really upsetting for the reasons that you mentioned in terms of like fleshing Laurie out more and more, you know, seeing her relationship with others and seeing what she went through with her family. She went through all of that and survived, but it makes that road to recovery seem so much longer in a way that I find to be really, really effective. And yeah, again, it's just like an element of a zombie movie that, again, feels very unzombie almost in this sort of attention to detail, not getting carried away and doing going off to maybe his stylistic bag of tricks, if you will. It just feels very relaxed and very emotionally involving. In ter- of course, it is also, you know, very graphically uh, disturbing as well when you see all the damage that she went through. Yeah, I mean... Like I, I, that, that opening scene was, uh, was, I mean, it's, it's surprising cause it's, it's a fake out. Like they kind of, um, I was curious, like what, how is this? Like, cause I heard about, like, I knew what it was about. Like it was about, like my friend was like, it's really great. It deals with like Laurie's trauma. I'm like, oh, this feels like way more like an actual, like direct sequel to 
or direct remake of Halloween 2. And then, of course, it's a uh, nightmare that she's having. Um, and I, I, and then from there, it, it like slows right down. Uh, and you, she's living with, uh, Annie and her father and, um, she's has horrible nightmares and she's not doing well. She's dealing with a whole lot of trauma. Her therapist is dealing with her, her friend is running. I mean, like she, she's, she's, she's become very short with Lori and Lori has now got these weird friends at work who are fucking scumbags and uh, <laughs> she is not doing well. And I, I'm really impressed by the way they handle someone dealing with trauma and how like you see this girl and you're like, oh my God, this is a shell of who we saw in that first movie when she was with her adoptive parents. And you're just like, Christ, this is this is upsetting to see how, what has happened and you're rooting for her to get better. And it's just, you know, it, it feels like inching forward. She takes big steps backwards and it's just, oh man, it, it is like, it is a way more depressing film, uh, especially after seeing the first one and, and liking the first one a lot. Uh, but then you're just like, you're dumped into the deep end of trauma and the, the, repercussions of it um, almost immediately and then you are not let go for almost the entire film uh or the entire film for that matter uh it is uh it is very well done i was very impressed with it um i it, it's something that i wish these new halloween movies dealt with more was was trauma and they like the the Halloween 2018 talks about like they they did a lot of interviews. They're like, oh, this is about trauma and reclaiming yourself, and it's like, not really. Like, <laughs> like it's it like it's a pretty cheap grab at the Me Too movement. Uh, and and that's probably my main criticism of these new movies is the like the the lead up to those movies releasing. There's there was a lot of talk of like like oh it's it like it's like a, a town reclaiming the the their trauma oh this this and this just like the black lives matter movement and i'm like did you watch the movie you made cuz there's a lot of like marketing talk about like using marketing buzzwords in you know of course the marketing of those movies and then when you actually sit down and watch the movie it's only ever like a surface level examination of anything and you know specifically the 2018 one when you're talking about you know Lori and her trauma it kind of just falls on this trope of like, well, yeah, she drinks constantly because how else can she cope in these things? And yeah. that was the element of the depiction of Lori and her trauma in Halloween 2 that I liked is that they don't go that kind of easy route, right? You know, there's a party scene later in the film, but the, mo the movie doesn't start with her, you know, oh, she wakes up every morning and just has a drink because that's the only way to yeah. cope, right? I think that it's a much more muted depiction of specifically like depression and what could, you know, very easily be an element of uh, PTSD and whatnot, right? I think that they show that in her environment, right? You see her bedroom, not only her herself, like she looks like she hasn't slept in a month or an entire year since last Halloween, but then yeah. you go into like the bathroom, right? And there's like graffiti all over the walls and there's stickers everywhere and everything. And I think even 
either her or her friend Danny or Annie had written on one of the walls like clean up your side bitch or something like that. And it's just like, yeah, it's more about just showing kind of like what her day to day environment is like rather than again, something that kind of just falls into these tired tropes of like, well, if you're depressed, you drink or you don't talk to anybody or you get into fights, that kind of thing where it's like you need to think about, and this was 2009. So it's not that reassuring that like, all these years later, you get to 2018 and we're back to those kind of familiar tropes, which then it's the first 20 minutes of the movie and then it moves on. Whereas in this film, it really just escalates and it escalates in a way that you don't even have to have Michael Myers back in Haddonfield for the first, I don't know, 40 minutes of the movie, which I love. You honestly didn't need Michael Myers. In my opinion, like if, if, I mean, like armchair director, I almost didn't want Michael Myers to be alive at all in this movie. Like, um, I like what they do with Michael in this movie, but like, I don't think you need him at all in this movie. I think, I think this could have just been a, a, almost a character study of, of Laurie and just always being afraid of something that's never going to happen. And like, that's, that's trauma is, is being like, like, uh, the thing is like i i wish this 2018 movie would have just been like i'm waiting for michael he's coming for me and then it is revealed that michael doesn't know who the fuck you are he doesn't remember one night over countless times of being overly violent and i i i really do like the idea of just like i mean like i don't like the idea cuz that's re- that's how that's what real trauma is is someone can can cause you a great deal of trauma and never remember who you are, but you are always afraid that person is going to come get you. And then, like, you let that control your life and you start, like you said, clean your side, bitch. Like, you start letting your life around you fall apart because you're just so... You're putting all your energy into just being fucking terrified that something... That Michael's going to come back and get you. And then... It's a lot to take in, uh, this movie, and, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fucked up, (laughs) (laughs) um, but I, I love it, and you see the other side of that coin where people are profiting off of the trauma, and that's Dr. Loomis, who is now, like, he, he's, he, like you said, he's a fucked up, like, hack Dr. Phil type guy, and he is, like, clearly profiting off of people's trauma and the deaths of, of family members who they, he gets confronted, uh, at, at a book signing and he just gets ridiculed at a talk show. And, um, it's, it's really interesting to see him then want to do right and be uh, like, like it's a little too, too late, too little, but, I mean, I, I guess it's not too little. I guess it, he <laughs> at the end of the movie, I guess he just just dies. But like he, it, it it is an interesting arc for him in terms of just like him being like, oh no, I need to do something now. I'm a fucking hack and an idiot, and I should have done something a long time ago. And um, it, it's a really interesting like shift for that character from being a very like. Uh, cheesy. Like I, I love Doctor Loomis in the original. Um, and I 
think like thank thank God for um, Donald Pleasance for just like sticking with that series for so long because he's the really the only reason to watch the movies past three, and uh, <laughs> uh, he he's fucking just incredible like i i just love he's just ah, he's he's gone i shot him i shot him five times i shot him five times ah! and uh <laughs> uh but it's just such a it's such an interesting shift from just a guy who's obsessed with ending michael myers life and just being a fucking crazy person like i i love i love i think it's halloween 5 where uh, Lori's daughter is in a hospital bed or something like that. Oh, and yeah. Donald Pleasance is like, uh, I'm looking for him. And I know you know where he is. <laughs> Tell me where he is. And he's just frightening <laughs> this little yeah. girl, this crazy old man. Uh, and then, <laughs> God, I love this series as stupid as it is and as bad as it is at times. But um, I it's just think boring. like, yeah, totally. Um I just think like Malcolm McDowell just did such a great job, like, like put this in the hands of like a lesser actor. Like, I I remember thinking in the when I watched the first movie, I wish that Sid Haig had played Doctor Loomis because oh, he just okay. doesn't have that big of a role. Yeah, it really doesn't. But I think Malcolm McDowell is just. I mean, I'm I'm sure Sid Haig could do it. Like he he was a. He was he was a professional actor and he had so much experience under his belt from like the 1966 Batman series to obviously House of a Thousand Corpses. But like Malcolm McDowell, like a lesser actor would not be able to capture the subtleties of his character without it just being a cartoon character like the original Halloween one. Um, as much as I love Donald Pleasance, like... I mean, and he, he fucking does a perfect job playing that cartoony, like, the evil's escaped, ah, I gotta get him. Um, or, like, scaring the kids away from Michael's house in the first movie. Hey, Lonnie, just... get your ass away from that door. Yeah, and <laughs> it's such a weird scene. Because he's just, in that movie, he's just standing by a bush for, like, hours until Michael's ready to show up. And then immediately has the same type of gag pulled on him by the cop. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I just think he, he's just so well done in this movie uh, in in terms. It's just such a like huge tonal shift when you see those Dr. Loomis scenes. And uh, I feel like they do a good job of bumping him against Laurie's stuff with like being confronted. Um, basically, the world thinking he's a hack. He's not he's not a like he's successful. He's profiting off of trauma. But everyone thinks he's a dirtbag and uh i i really like the way that they handle that and but they he still thinks he's you know doing something good uh and then there's that turning point where he realized oh no i am a dirtbag <laughs> <laughs> well i like the uh you know the contrast i guess between the original films and this in that this is like a more cynical view of you know, whether it be, let's just call them like TV doctors, right? And I think that it's the idea that is almost challenges the original idea of Loomis where it's like, really, this guy's going to dedicate 15, 20, 25 years to this. And it's just like, yeah, it's going to destroy his life, but he's going to be broke. It's like in realistic modern times, like it would be much more likely that you would get somebody like this. That's like, oh, well, you know, this started out as 
a righteous effort, right? You get those moments early on when he's interviewing Michael in the uh, asylum, right? They are having this kind of genuine moment. They're having this heart to heart. He even embraces him at one point when he starts crying. And it's like, that feels genuine. But then like the reality is over those years, he can't do anything to help Michael, especially when, you know, he's full grown and he's still wearing those masks and now won't speak. Like he basically washes his hands of it. But in the second film, I find that it is an interesting depiction where, it becomes a little cartoonish for me where he's just like uh, he's shouting about making sure his secretary gets him like piping hot tea and this right. photo is all wrong <laughs> and these things. And at the same time, though, it's just an interesting contrast to like the view on media in general. Like uh, Rob Zombie definitely has a, uh, a bone to pick with journalists and whatnot. He even has a line in the movie where it's just like they're gutless or something like that, where he's taking jabs at them. So. He's not, his feelings on journalists and people in the media are like not completely uh, unfounded in his own reality, I suppose. But it is an interesting contrast that provides for me some levity, I think, in a movie that, like you said, is largely uh, very upsetting and dark in a way that goes past just like it being a slasher movie, um, which, you know, we kind of skated past it a little bit. But that intro, right, that dream sequence, which is basically yeah. a 25 minute homage to the second film. I really love. I think that that's the way that I would want a director to handle a homage and that, you know, you're taking the best elements of that original film and you're condensing it into this very bite-sized but, you know, concise but brutally efficient uh, kind of nod to that and using that hospital setting. And while, you know, it doesn't use that setting in a way that we didn't see before, it has this new wrecking ball, unforgiving, unstoppable Michael Myers brutality and, you know, when you talk about zombie movies, right, we talked about it when we uh, went through the Firefly trilogy. You know, he has almost this like family that he makes with character actors and actors that are getting their start. And in this movie, you know, you have Octavia Spencer in the beginning who gives probably one of the best performances of a victim in this whole movie, right? Where she kind of stumbles out of this room and doesn't say anything and she slowly turns to Lori and it's like there's a delay in the fact that she got slashed in the face and then she explodes with, you know, just fear and terror and whatnot. And then, you know, Michael stabs her 30,000 times after that. Um, but I think that it's just a great example of somebody that can pay that, you know, respect to the original, you acknowledge it, but then you very quickly move on to your movie, which is taking very broad strokes with that, you know, IP in a way that, I find it work more often than it doesn't. Like, what did you think of those nightmare sequences? So that was the dream sequence, but Lori's nightmare sequences where she kind of is uh, is dealing with that PTSD in the most horrific of means outside of, you know, her own reality. Yeah, I, I love them. I mean, they, like like I said earlier, like I, I almost wish that that was all the Michael we got. Um I, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not unhappy with Michael being in this movie, but like, I do wish that it was more like focused and, um, I, I, I thought they were great. And I think like, um, the, when, when it kind of, it, it, it's a nice, it, they build, they build up to the moment where, oh, Michael's actually here and he's fucking people up. Um, and he wants to kidnap. Laurie so that he can bring the family back together. Um, I, I, I think like my, my main criticism of this movie is I didn't love that they showed Michael's face. Um, 
I mean, like, I, I don't care that in the original movie they showed Michael's face. The original Halloween in 1978, they showed Michael's face. And, uh, like, I, I know that they've done movies where they it was like a big reveal. It's like, no, they've already shown Michael's face in the original movie. But I I just like the mask a lot. <laughs> I like the mask. And I, I was bummed out they didn't have him wearing it in his actual like real world scenes because in the original he's driving a car around wearing that white mask and <laughs> and it's silly and stupid and how can he drive a car what, do they have driving lessons at the institute but like I, I I do miss the mask from that and um I I I liked I liked the strip club scene with Michael the real world strip club scene where he kills a couple people um, he kills Jeff Daniel Phillips. I think I, I that's his name. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, thank God. <laughs> I've been so bad with names this episode. Um, and I, I thought it was great. Uh, I, they do it again where you, you feel bad for a character. Cause like, uh, the, the scene where the, the fucking hit Hicks in the field, they start beating him up and the girl's kind of like, Oh, let's stop doing this. And then he kills all of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, eats I, the dog. Yeah, he eats the dog. They actually show him eating a dog this time, <clears throat> which is awesome because I, that's what we've been waiting for since 1978. Um, yeah, it's 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 good, but like like I said, like there's I feel like I feel like I'm just like not 100 percent into the the Michael Myers stuff in this movie. Like I'm I. I, my heart is set in the, I wish it was this, um, this just character study of Laurie dealing with this shit. And then maybe the side stuff of Loomis maybe coming to realize he's a fucking asshole. Um, but like, I guess you could still do this scene, but then it comes to the point where they find out who Laurie Strode's real family is that she's Laurie Myers and it's just great because then it, she just becomes complete like she, like any hope of her reconciling anytime soon is just thrown out the window when she finds out she's Michael Myers' brother, and that is just that is wild that 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 is such a that is such a bomb like I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a movie that does that a, a kind of thing like that where. Or, or a horror movie. Obviously, dramas do it all the time. But, like, I'm trying to think of, like, a horror movie that drops a bomb like that that isn't a, like, reveal of who the real killer is or something like that. Or, like, a very violent thing happens. Um, like, in Cabin in the Woods, it's when Chris Hemsworth rides and hits the weird cybernetic wall. And everyone's like, oh, shit. This movie's, like, oh, shit. Like, now all the characters just realize something truly frightening. Um, but, like, this is just, hey, you're, you're Michael Myers' brother sister and she's just like i'm fucking i'm larry myers like she's fucking she's lost it she's she's gonna she's gonna need some serious therapy time after that but like yeah it's it's such a powerful moment and it it really that that's the moment that sticks out to me the most is just like your trauma is you in a lot of ways like it's 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 heartbreaking and and thinking about all that she's lost like she would have found out that she was adopted eventually 
from her adoptive parents whenever they decided to tell her. But like the way they would have told her wouldn't have caused her to fucking want to fucking die because the, like she wouldn't know that her brother was the serial killer who killed her adoptive parents, everyone she loved. Uh, and well, at that point, not everyone she loved, but he was gonna, he was gonna get there. Don't worry. Um, it, it's just, it was, it's so heartbreaking, man. Like I, I, that's why I just don't understand why people don't like these movies. Um, uh, it's just, I just I feel like you, they're missing out on something that is just like, it, it's, it's tragic. And just because it's not like a sappy drama where they make you feel sad, where, where like you wouldn't feel sad, but because the music is sad sounding, you feel sad. Like this movie actually fucking depresses the hell out of me and I love it. But like, it's man, it's like, it's, it's, it's Michael all over again. It's you want this person to get better and they're just not gonna. There's a lot of hand wringing, I think, that comes along with this movie from fans of the series where it's like, well, it's too different. It's so different. Why is this a Halloween movie? When, you know, I, I figured you and I would see eye to eye on this in terms of like, well, if especially if it's going to be a sequel, you've reestablished this character that hasn't really been taken seriously in quite a long time, you know, based off of the two films that preceded the first remake you know, you have to have some ties to, you know, the original and the classic. And you can make deviations, but you can't make such wide turns essentially with that, right? Something that goes completely off script. But in the sequel to that, that's followed up right away. Like, why the fuck not? Why don't you take these massive swings? It's kind of like why I have so much respect for those Friday the 13th movies, even if I don't necessarily love all of them. It's that after, I would say, probably four you know, they're going to keep making them, they're profitable. And so they tried something new every single time after that. You know, they don't all work. But at the same time, I would much rather watch something like that, that experiments, even if it only gives me three or four scenes that are remember, like memorable outside of the entire film. I'm thankful for those moments because they took a swing that yielded in, you know, moments that I would say, if you told me to do a list of the top 20 moments, those would be near the top of the list, even if those films themselves are largely forgettable. And that's kind of how I feel about Halloween too, more so even that it is continuing what worked in his previous film. And it takes these massive swings in a direction that you would never think or see coming. And it really feels kind of like the ultimate personification of that decision to, you know, we're going to show Michael as a child. We're going to show why he became who he became, but going in a more fantastical direction that, if anything, I think plays really towards Rob Zombie's skills as a director, as you know, whether that be film or music videos. That's one thing that I've forgotten to ask you is kind of like in the original film, how much of it really feels like zombie from a stylistic sensibility? In my opinion, not much. But in this, this feels like a guy that's digging into that creative background, that stylistic background of being far out of not just you know, trying to elicit a reaction with characters that come off as abrasive, but like a film that at times is very visually abrasive. Um, I thought that that's why the second film works when it gets all the like fantastical and some people's opinion ridiculous. It plays to his skills as a filmmaker and as a creative person. So I think he sells it in a way that, you know, only he can. We laughed about the cult angle from uh, whatever that one was, five or six, right? But it comes off as being very hokey. Whereas in this film, 
it plays for us because, you know, it's Rob Zombie telling this the way he would tell it, and it works, and I think it's better off for it. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. Um, I, I it, it, It's a really interesting movie, and I think, like, it feels... It, it Like, you think about Rob Zombie's, like, filmography and what he's done, and it feels very different um in terms of like I, I i think like when you were saying like when you look back at that original film um you were saying when you look back at that original film you don't see a lot of zombie up at least up to that point and i feel like it was very like almost style defining for him like in terms of like a new branch of what he could do and um it 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 just bums me out that I, I I would like to see see him do more like this in terms of like very um, character focused, very um, like like tackling hard things like trauma and and uh, the the hope that someone who is deeply troubled can get better. Um, and I I I I think he might be unfortunately might be a little too far past that. Maybe he does revisit it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know the guy. I don't know what he's thinking. And I, I'm very excited for the monsters. Uh, even though that trailer was a little weird and felt like it was certainly a trailer. (laughs) Uh, I like the vibes of the trailer, but I hope, I mean, I hope they do some, you know, ADR. (laughs) It it seemed like a very put slap together trailer, but I like the vibes of it. Um, and, it just, I mean, in terms of like my favorite Rob Zombie movies, these are definitely right up at the top, if not the top. Um, and uh, Halloween, Halloween two is in particular just feels so like, like motherfuckers, you need to watch this. Well, you need to leave your, you know, you and I are two massive fans of the franchise and yet we're able to remove ourselves from the fact that this is taking deviations from the classics because, you know, again, when you make changes to the formula or even the lore and mythos, it doesn't affect what came before it. So who gives a fuck? Like, try something new. Try something that, you know, maybe it puts a director like him, which I believe this was the first time he was ever dabbling in a film that was a pre-existing IP, right? It's not something that he had done previously. And so having some constraints in that regard probably helped him to, you know, grow as a filmmaker. You can't be as kind of uh, maybe outlandish as he was in his defining sort of film of being House of a Thousand Corpses in those movies. Granted, you don't want him to have the same level of interference that people like the Weinsteins would have on a film like this or both of those films. But just being having some parameters maybe helped reel him in a bit and in that, you know, it makes him really kind of strengthen himself as a filmmaker, which is why I think I enjoy the first film as much as I do. And yet I don't consider it to really resemble a Rob Zombie film overall, you know, Um, while there's certainly elements of his sensibilities as a filmmaker in there at the same time, though, it's, it feels very cut and dry in a way that I don't associate with a lot of his other films. And if anything, I just hope that, you know, he gets another, maybe that's the case with the monsters, right? A pre-existing IP, He's going to have his brand of weirdness in there, but maybe there's a little more kind of grounding him in something that uh, has to play by some rules, if not all of the rules. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I do. I am curious. Uh, what do you? So, what what cut of this movie did you watch? 
Did you watch the uncut? No, so I have the theatrical cut on Blu-ray, um, but I did read about the director's cut. Okay. Yeah, so what was... I, I've only seen the uncut version. Oh, okay. So in the theatrical cut, it's essentially Lori kills Michael, right? She comes out of the shed and she's wearing the mask and she takes the mask off. And essentially it's kind of like that ritual that they were trying to do on her to like put Michael in her. It seems that that came to fruition. Uh, whereas I believe in the director's cut, she gets killed, right? Uh, yes. Um, here, I'm going to look up the, the specific differences. Uh, nine uh, ending differences. Because like the it's it's very weird. I think I think the uh it, it's like I, I yeah they kill her and then like the, you, you see her in the hospital though and it's it's playing Love Hurts and she smiles at the camera and it's like and sees her very, mother right yeah. I don't know how to feel about the ending of, of Halloween 2. Like, I love these movies, but, like, the ending is... I, I, it feels very strange. Um. <laughs> uh, no, definitely. I think that that's a, a point of contention for me still, even, is those endings, right? And I would almost want something that's a merger of the two. There's also, like, there's a fan theory that apparently... At the end of the movie, like, Michael is dead at the end of the first movie and that this is all in her mind. Granted, I don't think that tracks as well because of all of the scenes that we get of, you know, Michael, obviously. And if you had cut those out, kind of like something along the lines of what you'd said, the movie would play better, I think. And not to say it doesn't play well. Um, but I think overall, I would have liked something that, you know, she kills Michael, that ritual is completed and she comes out wearing the mask and then it's just bracket basically like screaming or something. And that's the end of the movie. I would like something like that where it's kind of like she survives, but it's the worst outcome that she could have other than, you know, being killed, which I think killing her after, you know, basically putting her through hell for two movies and then paying attention to the psychological aspect in the second film, her getting killed in the end feels a little mean spirited to me. Granted, this is a woman that's gone through the ringer now for two full films and to end on that note, I'm not saying it has to end up beat. I just don't know if I like an ending where she ends up getting killed. Yeah. It, While still being damned to a horrible fate, that's one thing, but killing her off is a little too finite for my liking or a little too clean of a closing that loop. Yeah. But then she isn't dead because you still see her in the hospital and she's, it's obviously alluding and like, so I know some people were like, "Oh, well, they were they were keeping it open for a sequel." Say, like, I would have fucking hated. Well, whatever. I, I mean, like, I I I love these two movies. Maybe Rob Zombie could have made a third one. That would have been great. I, I sounds like he didn't want to, but like, it, it it's just I feel so conflicted about the ending because it does feel like, um, studio interference. In terms of like, well, we want to keep it open, so put her in the hospital, and she's all like, oh, "I'm crazy now. I'm an evil girl," and I, I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I love that. I love the scene. It looks great. It sounds great, but it's very like, 
I'm just conflicted about how it ends. Yeah, I'm of two minds with that ending. I think that whether or not you think that she dies or not at the end of that movie or if she survives at the end of the director's cut, I think it just overall it shows that, you know, she has succumbed to what is ultimately probably the worst outcome, right? It's not the breaking of a cycle. It's a continuation of that cycle. And I find that, you know, it does definitely feel like some studio interference, right? Because, you know, while this movie was critically panned, it still did not have a huge budget. It had a fairly low budget still comparatively. Um, And, you know, the Halloween name is a big name in horror and whatnot and film in general. So the idea that they wouldn't eventually make another one, I guess they did want to leave it kind of open to interpretation, but it doesn't feel necessarily indicative of the ending that Zombie would have wanted. So I definitely, it's probably the, I would say overall, it's a film that I greatly enjoy, even if in it kind of fumbles that ending in a way that kind of just feels like almost a shrug when the rest of yeah. the film has been so engaging and so creative in terms of, you know, revitalizing this character in the most interesting way, I think, in probably, you know, a decade or two at that point. Right. Yeah, so I do like the part where she picks up the knife in this ending, she picks up the knife and then it looks like she's going to fuck up Loomis. Uh, I don't know if that's in the, in the, uh, theatrical version, No, but he gets it's implied down. that she's going to kill Loomis and then she gets shot. Um, but like, even then it's like, I, I don't really, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's not bad. It's not good. It's just like, kind of like you said, it's a shrug and it definitely feels like, uh, I mean, like, I, I don't know how much you know about the, like, the script that Rob Zombie had for Halloween 2 that wasn't this Halloween 2. No. Apparently there's this whole Halloween 2 script. Uh, you know, you've talked to Stuart on this podcast. He's he's read it, and it's interesting, but uh, I think he prefers, like, the idea of the second Halloween 2 to the one that got, you know, passed over. But... Um, overall, I, I still really love this film, uh, and the ending doesn't ruin it for me. It just kind of goes, oh, okay, like that, they didn't feel like, like you said, it, it didn't feel like that was Rob Zombie's original intention. Um, it, it, it's in kind of like a similar way. I mean, we talked about the Evil Dead 2, or no, yeah, we did. We talked about the Evil Dead 2 last time, and, um, we, we mentioned the, the Army of Darkness endings, briefly and like uh i like the theatrical version more than the the director's cut ending just because it's more entertaining um and uh i don't know maybe i'd like the theatrical version more here but there's just something that there, there needed to be a little more there for me to like to to just feel like satisfied with the ending because uh, even if it was just like oh Laurie is still traumatized and she's gonna have a horrible life I'm fine with that but I needed to I just needed a li- I just needed a little little more little more matzo on that meatball so uh, but I I still love the film and I uh, I think more people need to give it a shot and stop being fucking pricks <laughs> people need to be more open to change change is okay you can still if you don't like it that's fine you can go back and watch the originals that they love so much just like we do and you know you that's don't a let nicer your, way of saying what yeah. i said <laughs> I tr- I'm trying to be a little diplomatic but you know i guess it's the type of thing that it's uh 
I would just like more people to give it a chance, right? I think that, yeah. you know, what you were saying earlier about the latest Halloween film, it's like, would I like something that seems more stock standard or I'd like to see something more abstract and weird like this? And, you know, it's going to be 50-50 when you make those massive swings and you're taking gambles and risks, but there's a chance that it could be one of the most memorable and one of your most enjoyable sequels of a horror film that franchise that you love so much. And I think that that also is why I kind of look past the ending being a little bit of a shrug because overall, you know, he came back for this, Rob Zombie came back to this movie reluctantly, was not interested, had all of the Weinstein fuckery going on with it. And at the end of the day, it becomes a movie that, you know, we've talked about now almost for longer than the original film, which is not to say like picking favorites over the two, but I think that it's the type of thing where this could have been a very short second half of a conversation granted knowing the obstacles knowing the fact that it's as weird and out there as it is and yet it largely succeeds where it does occasionally stumble i think yeah i uh i i I totally agree and um it it just really makes me depressed for the future of the halloween franchise and looking forward to uh to the halloween ends um I just that trailer was so fucking boring. <laughs> <laughs> was it a full trailer or a teaser? I think it was I like a I teaser. I don't remember. Okay. But it was a bit more than a teaser. Like it actually showed scenes oh, and okay. it was like it's like Lori was like come get me motherfucker. It's like I don't want to see old woman Lori fighting Michael Myers. Like I'm sorry. I'll I'll say this. I need them to get somebody behind the helm of cuz you know, they're going to keep making those movies even if we have to wait another 10 or 15 years, they're still going to keep making them. They need to get somebody that I think is just a little more out there. And I don't think this director in particular would be great for it, but just in the realm of people that think outside the box, somebody like uh, Panos from behind um, Mandy, right? Or uh, I forget what his name is. Black Butterfly, I think was the name of his first film, but somebody that just like thinks outside the box and generally makes very weird films but revels in that weirdness and the freedom that comes with that. I would love to see a director that has a little more of a unique vision than somebody like David Gordon Green. Granted, he is structurally a sound filmmaker for majority of his films. I like 2018. I like Kills a little more than you, I think. But it's still a thing where it's like they feel a little too safe in my mind. They feel like films that are going by this very generic approach to slasher sequels and if anything, in revisiting Zombies films, we need more of what he was going for rather than this like, well, yeah, we're just going to make the body count get bigger and bigger because this film has a smaller body count, I think, than the original. And it's far more effective than it's in my top three Halloween films, I think, because I just I like it that much. And it takes that yeah. big of a swing um, and it's it succeeds more often than it stumbles, like I said. Yeah, so so I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I there there was a. um. God, I, I got to find the podcast for you and I'll send you a link and I apologize to the, the podcast that talked to uh, Marcus Dunstan and Patrick Melton because um, they were, they were um, before the David Gordon Green remake, um, reboot, whatever, they were actually being talked to to make, uh, make Halloween. And I would love that because I love The Collector. Uh, I love uh, The Collection uh, and I love... Uh, well, I, I, there, there's some rumors that the collect did is going to start up again, yeah, I hope which so. that, that was a fucked up thing that happened to them in their production. Um, 
And I, I love those guys. I think they're great. I, they made the best saws. They made the best uh, slasher in recent years, in my opinion. I think the collector is just such a fucking awesome idea. And I would love to see them get to do the Halloween that they were going to do. Because uh, that's just so cool. That sounds so freaking awesome. Um, and I, I don't... I, I, I mean, like, let's go back to the original Halloween. Or even Rob Zombie. These guys were not, like... Like, I feel like giving it to David Gordon Green, when they gave it to him, it would be very similar to giving it to, like, M. Night, giving giving the Rob Zombie remake timing to M. Night Shyamalan or something like that, where at the end it fi- you find out that Michael Myers was a woman and Laurie Strode was a brother or something stupid. But, like, it, it I feel like give it to someone smaller, give it to someone who, you know... Uh, not that they have anything to prove, but give it to someone with some something to prove, like Rob Zombie. Um, I guess David Gordon Green kind of had something to prove because he was mostly into comedies and whatnot. But um, and there are things that are great about Halloween 2018. Like I, I don't want to say like I I love that one shot of him walking through the neighborhood on Halloween. That feels so Halloweeny, and you you hear the the mom like on the call. Oh my God, Michael Myers is. Okay. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> there he is with a hammer, and now he's stealing my butcher's knife. Uh, I I I love stuff like that. Um, and then for every scene where you get something cool like that, you get a, Dan. I don't want to go hunting. I just want to focus on my dancing. Yeah. Or and it's like, what does the dad say? I've got peanut butter on my penis. He says that about three times, and it's just like, oh yeah, oh, it was fucking weird. There, there was another, the cops, where they were like, uh, yeah, oh yeah, they make great banh mi sandwiches. Yeah. He's like, oh, I don't want to eat banh mi sandwiches. I'm like, I'm with you, cop. But then he's like, oh no, but I made you a peanut butter and jam banh mi sandwich. And I'm, and, and a brownie. And, he, and he's, and I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> what is this dialogue? <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking weird. Um, but who knows? Maybe Halloween ends is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> very very optimistic but uh, uh we'll have to wait and see i think it's the type of thing where you know it, everybody that likes halloween is obviously going to tune in the significance of this is more than likely going to be jamie lee curtis's you know swan song with this series be the send-off and just hopefully we get something that in the finale is going to be a little more akin to 2018 rather than yeah the direction they went with kills i think we can both agree on that <laughs> yes absolutely uh, <laughs> oh man! Uh, look at us now. We're the real monsters. Yeah. Oh man! But uh, uh, Matt, man, thank you for giving me the uh, opportunity to revisit these zombie movies. Um, you know, I had revisited them. I mean, granted, I had said at the top of the show, like I'd seen Halloween two for the first time within the last two years, and immediately it was taken with it. And I think it was in revisiting the original film after that, I kind of just had a better appreciation for it. And to get to talk about it in a little more depth, I think is uh, what I needed to, you know, furthermore solidify that I've come around a lot on these movies since uh, my back in the day when I saw the first one in high school and fucking loathed it. So uh, thanks for the opportunity, man. And before I let you go, I'd love to uh, give you a chance to plug your podcast. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, Listen to the nuclear fridge. It is a, a podcast where three friends get together and uh, come up with a topic on the spot because we don't prepare for it. But it's a lot of fun. Three, we're, we're, we got good chemistry, uh, and I love those guys. And uh, we, we just released one of, I think, our best episodes yet, 
which is a funny thing to say about a podcast we don't prep. <laughs> uh, we just lost our mind over uh, over VR sex suits that we discovered during the podcast, and uh, I almost die. I think we all almost like choke on our own spit during the episode because <laughs> we're laughing so hard. But check it out, the nuclear fridge. Uh, Jay's been on it. We'll, we're gonna have him on more more often, and maybe some more projects in the future that we plan on doing. So. Uh, we will, we will hopefully see you on, on our side of the podcast world. Yeah, man, I can't wait. And I would say definitely, um, for podcasts that frame themselves as like being a group of friends that get together and just bullshit with no plan. You guys do it probably better than anybody. Uh, and I'm not just saying that cause I've been on it, you know, really great chemistry that you guys have. And, you know, I n- never know what I'm going to get, uh, come across my feed on a Friday. So yeah, definitely check out Nuclear Fridge when you guys get a chance. And thanks again, man. I always enjoy chatting horror with you. Yeah, me too, man. Thanks for the kind words. Thank you for listening to another episode of Daily Horror Habit. You can follow the show on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod or give me a follow at NotFunnyJ. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you guys next week.